This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And on today's show, Eric recently finished up a series of rankings where we've looked at the 20 best players uh, for, for Oregon football going into the season. And we're going to break this list down. We're going to get his opinions on these guys and how he came up with the list. And before we do, I want to remind you guys that if you want to support the podcast, you can subscribe today. And we are doing a promo that started today, runs through the 17th. So you got a couple days to take advantage of this. Two months for your first, do- uh, two months for $1 and then 30% off an annual rank, uh, an annual membership. And you're already saving tons of money um, by subscribing the annual route. Normally it's, it's about $44 in savings compared to the month to month price. And we're taking 30% off of that already. So um, you're, you're, you're saving substantial money by going the annual route. But if, if you want to go month to month, typically we give you one month for, for a dollar. We're now giving you two months for a dollar for the next couple of days. Really good chance to, to try things out. Football is starting back up again soon. Players are reporting to camp soon. Uh, we will have full coverage of all of it best we can that we're allowed to have on, on campus. So your support uh, of the podcast can be felt directly by subscribing to duckterritory.com. But if you can't, more than understanding, more than okay with that, uh, you can help support us in other ways by sharing the podcast or giving us a review on uh, whatever platform that you listen to the podcast on uh, and, and simply listening because the listens prove that you're supporting us there as well. So thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. Uh, Eric, before we dive into the first 10 of these 20 players, could you maybe just explain how you came up with these rankings? Yeah. So I, I was thinking it's the 2020 season. Let's come up with the best 20 players for the season. And I considered obviously talent and production they've had pre- previously at Oregon. That plays a role in it as well. I considered what is their opportunity to actually play? Um, are they going to have a chance to start? And if they don't have a chance to start, it was a little bit challenging, or at least they don't have a chance to play a big role. It was challenging to include them because can you really say a player is one of the most important or one of the best players on the team if they're only playing 10 to 15 reps a game? Um, And so so I kind of – that was a factor as well. Um, And and then I also took into consideration just like the pro potential of some of these guys. And I think that part – was what made things kind of challenging. It's, it's challenging to kind of balance. And you'll see this, at, especially at the top, some of the, okay, this player is probably going to be a really good NFL draft pick, but there are really talented players that play similar positions or the same position that might make it difficult for that player to play that much. So um, it's a tough balance here. Um, I think it's a pretty solid list. Um, I'm, I'm curious to get Matt's feedback and for the listeners' feedback as well. We've had good uh, message board feedback throughout the week. Um, from from readers who I think agreed with a lot of things and questions a lot of things. And I want to just start by acknowledging that my 20th pick here 
I, I, I kind of, I feel like I'm, I, I'm starting by acknowledging I may have a, a change of heart here, but the story's already published, so I can't go can't back. Can't go back. Can't go back. It's already on record. But uh, let me run through my first five. We're going to break these down into groups of five. That's the way this, uh, that they were done on the website. So from numbers 20 to 16, number 20, Noah Sewell. Number 19, Malasala Amave Laulu. Number 18, defensive tackle Austin Falu. Number 17, linebacker Justin Flo. And number 16, wide receiver Micah Pittman. And let me start by why I'm suggesting number 20. Maybe I could have made another pick. I probably should have put Mace Funa in, pl- in place of Noah Sewell the more I think about it. Um, Funa has a direct opportunity to start at stud. I think it's pretty clear he's going to. He was a pretty important part of the defense early on in the season. I know he wavered a little bit down the stretch, but I think I'm arguing against my own pick here, Matt. I don't know if you're going to argue against it too, but um, I think Mace Funa probably was a little bit more deserving than Noah Sewell if I'm going to start it here. Um, but just acknowledging that I think Funa is probably – maybe deserving of that spot um i could be convinced for either one because well i think funa is going to start i also am going to acknowledge that i think noah sewell is just a better football player than mace funa and i agree with that too so maybe i mean that that's where you start you know really just thinning things down a little bit of, you know, maybe is this ranking based on just pure talent and, or is this taking into, like you said, taking into consideration roles and starting and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so I, I think while maybe Funa starts and Sewell probably doesn't, at least at the beginning of the year, uh, I would probably still have Sewell at number 20 ahead of Funa because I think Sewell can play Funa's spot as well. And I also think that Sewell's still going to play quite a bit. It's not like his snap count is going to be drastically lower than Funa's. I um, love that. I love that you just play devil's advocate to my own devil's advocate. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you just made my point for me after I tried to go against my point. <laughs> so Sewell's going to play still a ton. And yeah. so I'm, 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 I'm going to keep Sewell at number 20. Okay. Uh, I, I don't have any problems with that. I think – Justin Flo is a guy and Micah Pittman are two players who we could say at the end of the year are higher on this list than their debuts at 16 and 17. I mean, I think that's fair too. And, and that's part of the hard thing is we're, we're doing some projections here because like, I, but I wouldn't put them higher right now. Exactly. That's the hard part for, for all five of these guys, really. I mean, we shouldn't say that. Austin Foglio at number 18 is, has had a very he's, – he's on this list in part because he's had a strong career. He's had three years of starting. He doesn't have probably the, the same talent level in terms of the ceiling as these other four guys. But the other four players are all pretty unproven, and that's kind of what you see in the first ten names I have here. A lot of them are kind of unproven guys that have not quite yet shown what they can be. We know they have a, a ton of talent, but whether it's based on recruiting ranking or small sample sizes that they've played already or what we've known from what we heard from their practices and other teammates. But um, some of this is difficult in terms of we, we were projecting based on, like Matt just said, kind of like no data based on, I mean, we haven't seen Justin Fuller even practice yet at Oregon. And, and, and to say he's better than the 17th best player is probably a, a bit of a reach. So that, that was the challenge as well in this rankings because It'll be kind of fun, I think, to look back after the season and do a similar exercise um, and can kind of compare and contrast how well this premature look, uh, how that well that painted the picture. 
All right, my 15 through 11. Number 15, quarterback Tyler Shuck. Number 14, wide receiver Devin Williams. Number 13, offensive tackle Stephen Jones. Number 12, wide receiver Jalen Red. And number 11, safety Brady Breeze. I think Shuck is the one to me, Matt, that I go, boy, he could be way higher on this list or not on this list at all after the season. <laughs> he was probably one of the hardest ones to rank because we don't even know if he's going to start or not. We're just kind of going on uh, basically what we've seen in spring. Yeah, Shuck, like you said, has an incredibly high ceiling. Shoot, I mean, I, I don't think this is going to happen, but it's not out of the realm of possibilities that Tyler Shuck finishes the year at number one. Oh, I like that. Like, uh, I mean, Penny Sewell right now is by and far the better player, but we all know – the value and the importance and the significance of having an elite quarterback. And if Tyler Shuck is an elite quarterback and I mean, at, at the very least he could be three. Uh, if, if he has a, if he has a best case scenario season as a sophomore at Oregon, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, he, he could jump his way all the way to three, two, one, four. Um, it, it, certainly. And, but like you said, he could also not even be on the list if, exactly. if, if uh, Anthony Brown beats him out. Yeah, that's the challenge with Chuck. You're right. I think he has the greatest range over the course of the season to, you're right. I, I don't know. Num- I hadn't considered him number one, but I do think he could be in that top five without question. That top three, possibly even. Oregon has a lot of talent, but he, who, who's to say he can't be that kind of guy? If he's just awesome, he can be the most valuable player on the team. But you're right. He could also not win the starting job and uh, it won't be on this list at all later. Um, thoughts on Devin Williams at 14. I think he's another one of those guys along with Shuck where there's a lot of optimism and excitement, but we're not really basing it off of anything we've seen actually take place in the field. Yeah. And that, that's another one where like Shuck, he could really explode up the list or, you know, Brian Addison could beat him out and Devin Williams turns into uh, you know, maybe Lance Wilhoyt, you know, is healthy and has the, the year he's supposed to have that last year, but now as a redshirt freshman, and, and maybe Devin Williams just kind of turns into a, a rotational player that comes off, off the bench, doesn't start. And, I mean, I, I, I don't think that's going to happen. But, I, like I said with Shuck, it's, it's not out, out of the realm of possibilities. You know, nothing is guaranteed for these guys. They've still got to produce and they've still got to, you know, get in there. And, and so, yeah, like Williams could – he could make that top 10 and he could be out of the top 20 as well. Uh, another one of those guys that has a wide range of sliding scale – Brady Breeze is another one. Um, I don't know if Brady will ever crack into the top five, and I don't know if Brady Breeze could crack out of out of the top twenty. But it really feels like that's another one where it's difficult to get a, a true good feel of where he f- definitely falls because we have to remember that. Okay, Brady Breeze was absolutely amazing in the Pac-12 championship game and the Rose Bowl uh, uh, against Wisconsin and was yep. named, named the Rose Bowl defensive MVP, uh, was a pro football focus, all Pac-12 second team player, was a USA Today all bowl team um, member for, for the country, one defensive player of the week following his game, I think at USC, was on the PFF's three, uh, Pac-12 team of the week three times during – the 2019 football season, but he also only started four games and there's a reason for that. You know, Nick Pickett was a, a, 
11 game starter for Oregon as a junior and was a guy that started 12 out of 13 games as a sophomore in 2018. And Brady Breeze didn't start a single game out of Oregon until the final four of the 2019 football season. So he is, he, I mean, you could argue he maybe should have played more prior to that four, four game run of starting, but he didn't. And so how much is an overreaction and how much is, is based off of what he's done? I, I think Breeze, is, Breeze might be like the most interesting player on Oregon's roster from a senior NFL perspective approach for the 2020 football season because I feel like Brady Breeze could come out and he could just continue what he did in his final four games of the 2019 season and play his way into an NFL draft pick selection. And I'm not going to say, you know, third or fourth round. It's probably going to be a seventh or sixth round selection. But we weren't talking NFL draft last year at this point for him. And, we, were, and he, we didn't know if he was going to see the field. <laughs> yeah. Like, but he could, he could theoretically, in my eyes, play his way into being one of the best safeties in the country and get drafted as a senior. Or it could be the, other, the opposite direction, where, where that four-game period by Brady Breeze in late November and in the, in the postseason play was the best stretch that he will have in his career. And it will become extremely difficult to, to duplicate those four games over 12, 13, 14, 15 games for Oregon in, tw- in the 2020 season. Breeze was another one that was really hard to rank because of what Matt just laid out in terms of RB. You see the player that we saw over the last handful of games of last season where he really came on. I think that USC game was significant for him to kind of come on. And, and he was arguably one of the best defensive players on the team. That's why he's at number 11 here. That's why he's, I think he's a fringe top 10 player on this team. At the same time, like don't discount the fact that like Nick Pickett, Verona McKinney and McKinley and Bennett Williams are all really talented safeties that he has to contend with. And like, I'm not saying he's at risk to lose his job, but who knows? Uh, there's going to be competition for playing time. And that's what made, I think, this defensive back group really hard to kind of work through. And you'll see it um, in a second here when we run through the top 10 because you're looking at a bunch of extremely talented players, but there's not there's only you know five starting spots really available. All right, guys that probably could be on this top 20 list. Like I talked about Mace Funa being a guy I didn't list. What about a guy like Verone McKinley or Nick Pickett who were both really good last year and who could both be- – Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Preem. Eric Scopel is with me, and we've broken down the first 
half of his 20 best players for Oregon in the going into the 2020 football season. We've got 10 more to go. And this is, I think, Eric, where it's going to get real difficult. <laughs> Trust me, it was really difficult. I think numbers like 12 through about five was where, or 12 through four, I would say. I think the top three to me felt pretty, I felt pretty comfortable there. But four through 12 was really like, it was hard. It's hard kind of you know, cutting hairs between some of these guys. But here's what I landed on. Number 10, linebacker Isaac slade Matatia. Number nine, wide receiver Johnny Johnson. Number eight, cornerback Yamador Lenore. Number seven, nose tackle Jordan Scott. And number six, and again, I think this might be the hardest pick in, in the whole thing for me, was cornerback Mikhail Wright. Um, and I want to start with that one just because I think he's the hardest person to rank here. He yep. probably has one of the higher draft ceilings of anybody on here. Um, he's clearly exceptionally talented. He's probably one of the best kickoff returners in the country based upon what he saw last year. At the same time, it's hard to know exactly what we can expect from him. He might be way too high at number six. He might be way too low, too. I mean, he might be one of the top two or three guys on this list. He might not even be top 15 because there are two corners that are, that are probably going to start above him, or at least currently that's sort of what it feels like. Um, I'm, I have him above Diamond Lenore, who is a starting cornerback on this roster, but because of what Wright has shown so far in his clear talent, and what he does on special teams as well, I had him above Lenore. I don't know if that's fair or not. Um, Lenore is a guy who could be starting for his third straight season as a senior in 2020. Wright has yet to start a single game. I don't know. I, feel, I felt kind of like crazy putting him above Lenore at the same time. I think the talent is just so clear. Yeah, he was coaches all-conference honorable mention player as a true freshman. He was a pro football focus all-Pac-12 honorable mention. Two times Pac-12 special teams player of the week came week 10 against USC. And then in um, week 14, he did that as well. And I'm trying to remember if that was that against Oregon state. Um, week 14 might've been, yeah. Or, or Utah. I don't know. Yeah. I'm trying to think why it would have been. Yeah. It would have been Utah, I think. And then he oh, no, had, Oregon state did the kickoff return. My bad. Sorry. Yeah. It was Oregon <laughs> state. And then he had, he was a four time PFF PAC 12 team member of the week, week three, week 10, week 12 and week 14. Um, Third player in program history to return two kickoffs for a touchdown in a single season. He was just one of 11 FBS players to do that this past season. Uh, first Pac-12 player to return two kickoffs for a touchdown since 2016. So he, I mean, part of me feels like his, a lot of his hype is built on, on the surface on his special teams play. But then you go and you look at like how he graded out by pro football focus and as a cornerback on the field and it's even better. And he's one, he was one of the best players in the country at, at the position. So, um, and he did it with fewer reps than what a Lenore or a Thomas Graham did uh, as well. So I, I, I agree with you. Mike Kill right. It's, it's one in which like, would you be surprised Eric, if he was the number two player on Oregon's roster at the end of 2020? I wouldn't be totally stunning. There are a couple of guys that I would, that we'd have to jump that would be sort of surprising, but like I'm not going to be stunned. I, I, I could have, I almost put him in the top five just because of the clear talent he has. So I don't, I mean, I, I think that speaks to where he, where he's at. Um, you could, you could get me to say that Diomede Lenore should maybe be six and Michael Wright should be seven and Jordan Scott should be eight. Um, but I, I, I literally just think it's just, you know, these three guys I look at defensively. Um, in particular, Lenore and Wright are, are very, very close to each other um, and very similar players 
in terms of talent, production, what have you. One of them just has played more than the other one has, and that's the only difference. Um, Johnny Johnson, I think – I don't know how much more he could move up. Um, I think that you could argue he could move a couple spots. He could also drop a few spots. But I feel like he's going to just be that classic, really good college football receiver as a senior that everyone's just going to – he's a star – He's going to get his shot at the NFL. We'll see if he sticks. Don't know if it's ever if it, if it will fix uh, stick for him. But at the collegiate level, he is one of the best at the, at the position in the conference. Yeah, I, I'm I'm in agreement there. And he feels kind of like he's he's going to be steady Eddie, which is why I think he's got to be in the top ten based upon what he did last year. Um, especially, I just think early on in that season, what he was is a steadying force when there were so many injuries. I have a lot of respect for how he handled himself coming off the season which was not his best. And he knew that and acknowledged that. So I, I, I think Johnson and, and a lot of these guys in the top 10 here are older players, as you can, you can see um, in terms of that top, those, the five we just ran through um, most of those guys are, are seniors or juniors and uh, Johnson's experience and his leadership, I think also plays a role in his ranking. And let's move into the top five in part, because it's an easy transition because I think my number five pick Thomas Graham at cornerback from a leadership perspective, that was pretty significant for me. Um, and as you're reading this, you're going, wow, they had, Eric had three corners from number five, six, and eight. And that's right. I think the cornerback position on this team is so immensely talented that it's impossible to ignore. And I think Graham might not be the most talented of those three. There's probably an argument he's like got the lowest NFL drafts in and probably a pretty good one. We've both said in the podcast before that we think Lenore might have the higher ceiling from an NFL draft perspective than Graham. And I think we both agree that Wright will probably be selected much more based upon what we know from one season. The expectation is he has a higher draft ceiling as well, but Graham will be entering his fourth year as a starter at corner. And he has more starts than any player on this roster right now. Yep. Um, you don't get a lot of players who will start four straight years, especially true freshmen starting four straight year, Jordan Scott and another player who's done that Scott and Graham very, very unique that you see that happen. Um, something that will could see happen at Oregon with Penny Sewell, but he's not going to play four years at Oregon. Um, so, you know, what Graham has done from that perspective, I think is impressive. What he does as a leader is impressive. And he's a really good football player too. I don't think that part can get lost. I think he was an honorable mention PAC 12 conference pick the last couple of years and, and probably would have, is deserving of a little bit more. Um, and hopefully in 2020, he's acknowledged that way. Yeah. Thomas Graham is somebody that uh, it's pretty remarkable that, he has started, what, 39 games in, in his career at Oregon. He, I think he's played in every single game and started every single game since he's shown up, yeah. which is just ridiculous. And so he's going to leave as one of the most experienced players in the country at the, at, at, on the defense. He's a big reason why Oregon as a whole, their entire 24-7 sports recently kind of built, like if you could take a position, you know, the best position group from across the country – uh, at every spot and, and build a super team, you know, Oregon's defensive backs were selected for DB and he's a big reason why the ducks were put there. Number four, I have running back CJ Verdell. Um, I went back and forth with four and five. I think Verdell ahead of Graham uh, ultimately that just came down uh, to the fact that he may have a little bit larger impact on a game to game level as the running back in an offense that I think is going to use its running backs quite a bit. Um, and frankly, like if Verdell and I wrote this in the story, if Verdell was, ha you know, healthy for 
those, I think it was five second halves in Pac-12 play. It was four or five that he missed. Yeah. If he was healthy for those, he ran for 1,220 yards last year. He could have run for 15 or 1,600 yards, and everybody would be saying he has to be top five on this team because he's going to come into the season as a legitimate Doak Walker you know, candidate. Um, and I still think he has a chance this year. Um, and a lot of this is going to depend with, that, with, with Verdell. How comfortable do they feel feeding him the rock? Are they going to be comfortable giving him the ball a little bit more frequently than he did last year? Is he going to be able to stay healthy? But if Verdell can put together a season where he stays healthy, and they, he can continue to get 20, 15 to 20 to maybe 25 sometimes carries per game. I think he could be in for a massive season. You think about what, uh, and obviously not the same player, but what Joe Moorhead was able to do with a Saquon Barkley at Penn State, and I'm not comparing Barkley to Verdell because Barkley might be the best running back to come out of college football in the last 10 years or so. But Verdell has a chance, I think, in his offense to be very productive. My only issue with Verdell, I think you have him a little too high. Okay. Um, and I think it, I get your reasoning and you could, you could try and convince me and, and I could, I could maybe sit with him being here, but my issue with Verdell is that he ran for 1200 yards last season. And like you noted, he got hurt quite a bit and there were a lot of games in which he missed the second half. You know, I think Montana is one. Uh, I remember Washington is another game. USC is another game. Um, I believe he got hurt too against Arizona. Um, but my issue is, is he ran for 1,200 yards. Over half of that, 735, came against Utah, ASU, Washington State, and Colorado. Mm-hmm. And he has he had he had four games where he just ran astronomically for more yards than any other game out there. Um, and some of these games in which he got hurt, like Montana, it was five carries for 13 yards. He wasn't performing at a high level in that game and, and then left because of injury. Uh, USC, six carries for 12 yards. Uh, you, know, you, you look at Oregon State, he, had 50, he didn't get hurt in that game, but he had 15 carries for 50 yards. Um, you know, not, not a good average. Stanford, he got a ton of carries, played the whole game, I think 24 carries for 82 yards. Um, I do look at, you know, Nevada. I believe he got hurt in that one as well. Um, but Auburn and Nevada, he was, you know, both of those games, he was averaging over five yards a carry before um, he got hurt in both of those games. I know he got that stinger against Auburn. Um, but you're right. Like, what would his numbers be like if he didn't get hurt and he did get the carries? And part of my wondering, though, is, is you know, like uh, – are we going to see him get 20 carries a game, even if he could? Or will Oregon just be safe about it and make sure that, that Travis Dye and Cyrus Abilakio and, and Sean Dollars get some carries as well? Just, just to – because he has – I mean, while he's been hurt, he has almost 400 yards uh, of carries in his first two seasons. So – or three, he's at 368, so it's not right there at 400, but – He's over 350, and that's that's quite a bit. And, and you're starting to add, you know, more and more touches a running back gets, you know, the more durability questions pop up. So I, I do wonder how much will he actually get the opportunity to carry, even if he is healthy. Do you think it would have been – should I have put another running back on the list then? If we're, if we're concerned about Verdell's ability to stay healthy, should Travis Dye have been no. like number 19? Okay. I, I would, rather, feel that way I would rather have Puna than a Dye. Okay. 
I, th- I think we're in agreement there too. I hadn't even considered Travis Dye to be frank, to be frank, but you, there are a decent argument for at least acknowledging him because given Verdell's health history, um, Dye has had to play a lot. And so has Cyrus to be Likio. And, and I think both will, and you mentioned John Dollars is another one. I think they will be continue to be part. I mean, Dye has, Dye has better numbers than, than Verdell does. He just doesn't have as many opportunities from a, from a carry perspective. Now, Dye also doesn't have the touchdowns that, that Verdell has because Dye isn't um, – usually when they get into the goal line situations, uh, it, it automatically almost goes to Cyrus. And if Cyrus isn't in, it's going to go to Verdell because Verdell is, is considerably bigger from, a, from a, a muscle mass, size mass perspective than Travis Dye is. But Dye – I mean, he ran for over 730 yards as a freshman, averaged 5.3 yards a carry, had four touchdowns. And then he also had a 6.2 average this past year, ran for 658 yards on 106 carries uh, as a sophomore. And I think, I actually believe Dye should be used more in the passing game. He is, I think he's really good um, in, in screens and swing passes and dump offs. And so, I think Die is is talented. I think Die is good, but I, I would take. I, I think Funa is better than 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 Die um, from an individual perspective. And I think Oregon's running back room is really unique because they have three really good running back. They have three running backs. They're all uniquely talented at certain aspects, and collectively they make the running back group a lot better than any one of them on an individual basis. My third is Nickelback Javon Holland, and uh, I didn't have a whole lot of – I didn't take a whole lot of time here. I, I felt it's pretty Javon comfortable. Holland. It's Javon Holland's going to be number three. The top two guys I thought were kind of self-explanatory. Those listening, I'm guessing, have a pretty good idea who those are. But um, Holland is – I ran through this. Like, he, he's extremely versatile. He's, a, he's an improved tackler. He's really good in coverage. He is a ball hawk at the back end as a safety. He's a really good punt returner. In fact, I'm su- sort of surprised based upon what we saw from him last year that he didn't take one to the house in 2019. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he takes one in 2020. Um, given his size and athleticism, I, I just think he's such a, a unique talent for Oregon. Um, and, and it makes sense why the NFL draft, at least right now, they're projecting he could be a first-round pick in the 2021 NFL draft after leaving um, this season as a junior. So um, I don't know if Matt has many qualms here, but I thought Holland was pretty easy here at three. Yeah. I mean, I think one through three is pretty definitively set in stone. Um, I, I look at Javon Holland and think the two guys ahead of him have potential to be the number one overall draft pick in their draft class. <laughs> I don't think you can say that about Javon Holland. Yeah, part of that is positional because he plays defensive back, and these other two guys, as we're about to get to, are line and I should, players. And I should note, like, I think Javon Holmes a first-round draft pick, so I'm not sitting here Same. saying, yep. like, he's, he's not a, a talented player. Like, no, he, he's going to be a first-round pick in my eyes. It's just he's, gonna be, he's not going to be a, a top-five pick in the draft. And these top two guys, like Matt said, at least are being projected that they could go that range. Number two, defensive lineman Kayvon Thibodeau. And we'll just say it. number one, offensive tackle, Penne Sewell. Let's just talk about both of these players for a moment here. I, I didn't even put a whole lot of them. Here, let's, let's start here. Is there an argument for Thibodeau above Sewell? Mm, after one season, I'm not going to – I won't make that call yet. Um, after one year of uh, Thibodeau. 
Now, if Thibodeau replicates what he did as a true freshman and adds 30% more of what he did across the board in 2020, then we're starting to wonder, is Thibodeau going to be a better player than Penny Sewell? Yeah, I was going to say, is this more of what can Thibodeau do to prove that he's better than Sewell? Like, does Sewell even have much of a role in this in terms of if Thibodeau could jump him? I mean, because I feel like Penny Sewell's probably going to have a good chance of winning the Outland Trophy again. I mean, I don't, they don't typically repeat that award, but he's going to be at least a strong candidate. And even if he doesn't win, people are going to acknowledge that he's one of the top two or three linemen in the country. I think we're expecting that. Is it possible that Thibodeau, like, is there anything Sewell can really do? Or is this just based upon if, like, Thibodeau comes out and has, like, 19 sacks this year or something? I, I know well, I think it's hard. <laughs> I think it's hard because Sewell is an offensive lineman. And – while we know pancakes and we know, you know, the number of sacks a player gives up, there really isn't like definitive stats that are, you know, you make a tackle, you make a tackle. A pancake can, can be interpreted in, in multiple ways. Who, who's responsible for giving up a sack can be interpreted in many different ways. Sure. There's, there's no quantitative hard data that you can a- attach to an offensive lineman. So that's, that's always going to be difficult for an offensive lineman. Um, I, I, without a doubt, believe Sewell is, ha, has a really good chance of being the number one pick. I mean, what if, what if the Chargers or what if the Bengals or what if the Dolphins get the number one draft pick? And what if, you know, those I, – I, they don't need a quarterback. And, and so – I could, I, A, I could see them trading it more than likely, but they could yeah. also just say, you know what? Like, we're not getting what we want from a value perspective. We're just going to draft Panay Sewell number one. Like, I look at Sewell and think if, if a quarterback doesn't go number one, he's probably the most likely candidate. I feel and like so, yeah. Yeah. so for, for So for Thibodeau, it's, you know, like, I, I look at him and then he just needs to get to that level where he needs to have another year like, like Sewell did as a sophomore where then it's just definitively, okay, this is going to be a top five guy no matter what. All right, Matt, I mentioned Funa. We talked about Travis Dye for a second. Anyone else that's not in my top 20, and I'll note that Spencer Webb at tight end was a guy that I, I, I considered, not real seriously, but just thought of like if the potential of someone at tight end, he probably has the highest ceiling, even though McCormick maybe is the most reliable. Um, was there anyone else that you thought of that is not on this list that you think deserves at least an acknowledgement? Um, I, I look at Funa. I think that's one that should be on there. Um, defensively, Vrome McKinley, I feel like, I mean, he was a freshman All-American. I look at him and Nick Pickett, and it, but, it, but it becomes really hard. Like, who, do you, who are you going to take off? Um, I think McKinley is very good, and I think Same. Pickett is talented, solid, and, and in a good spot as well offensively, like, I don't think you can put any of the other offensive linemen on this list. Tight end, I don't feel like you can put any of the tight ends on this list. Um, maybe I, – I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think there's anyone else really out there that I look at and just say this guy definitively needs to be on this top 20 list outside of Funa, Brady, uh, Verona McKinley, and Nick Pickett. I am. I will say I am bummed that uh, Oregon doesn't return Blake Maimon this year because I was ready to put him like number <laughs> number seven or something like that and just uh, I would have called you people that. lose their mind. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I should say that there. Yeah, the fact that there were no uh, specialists to consider um, that made that part pretty easy. 
Um, I think it's going to be fun to, to follow this throughout the season. Not that we're going to watch each game with my list pulled up to break down who the best players are, but throughout the season to just kind of acknowledge, ah, we thought these players were going to be kind of, this is the hierarchy and man, it, boy, were we wrong or man, actually that kind of played out. And then after the season, I, I will say I, I intend um, sometime in January to, to kind of come up with something similar and kind of been able to reflect on how things changed from uh, mid-June to, uh, to sometime in January, because I think it's interesting kind of considering uh, the way this season plays out and expectations before a season. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. For Eric Scopel, I'm Matt Prame. Thank you for listening, and make sure to take advantage of that promo price that's running right now. It runs through Wednesday night. So if you want a subscriber to DuckTerritory.com and you want to help support us, that's the most impactful way. But if you can't subscribe right now, totally get it, totally understand there's other ways that you can support us by reviewing our podcast on the platforms that you listen to. To uh, You can also share our podcast and, and simply just listening also supports us as well. So highly, highly suggest you guys check out the VIP promo prices right now. Get, get more information on duckterritory.com for that. Thank you for listening. And for Eric Scopel, I'm Matt Brain. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening, fellas. Hello, everyone. It's Mike Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats.